This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. We're your hosts, Robin Chiwokas from the Leather Elves. And Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird Inc. Today's topic is foraging. What is it and how do I train my bird to do it? We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Kitty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Today's topic is foraging. What is it and how do I train my bird to do it? Well, Robin, maybe you could help us out here. What is foraging exactly? Foraging is the hot topic these days. That's what it is. Um, but as far as a definition of foraging, foraging, it, it's easy to define. It's making a search for food. There are big lengthy discussions about how far and, and the length of travel, but it's really just the search for food. And, and I think you could make an argument that most animals, in fact, all animals forage in some way. Mm. Ooh, that's a thinker. It is. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I can't think <laughs> of any that don't. Um, but <laughs> well, I, certainly our parrots do. This is true. And we are a parrot podcast, so we're safe to say that, right? <laughs> exactly. So um, there are two different kinds of foraging that, that we usually discuss with regard to parrot. There's arboreal foraging versus ground foraging. And arboreal is obviously in the trees, and ground is just what it sounds like down on the ground. And it may be, you know, scratching around for things. And when they refer to ground foraging, it's, it's really a matter, not necessarily just on the ground, but in low bushes or shrubs or grasses and things like that. 
Well, certainly there's a lot of, um, seems to be grass seed eaters out there in the parrot um, world. There definitely are, and it's a matter of, you know, what's, what appeals to that particular species. And, and we've talked before at length about how when you're creating enrichment of any kind or, or doing training, you need to consider what your bird, uh, what type of behaviors they exhibit in the wild and try to, to um, come as close to that as you can when you're creating things at home. Yeah, I was fortunate when I got to visit Australia, I got to see a few wild parrots out there, and it was really cool to see um, rose-breasted cockatoos, or galahs, as they call them over there, out on the, just out in a park, foraging around on the ground, along with greater sulfur-crested cockatoos and things like that, mm -hmm. which I guess they think of them as pests over there. I, I have had that discussion with people from Australia. They, oh, and they kept me awake. The cockatoos are in the trees, and I, I just can't even imagine how wonderful it would be. You guys are lucky out there in Australia. We wish we had some parrots over here in the U.S. that we could see every day. And, and Barbara, you bring up a good point, too, that um, the ground foraging and how many different kinds of birds there are that do ground forage. And the it's that light comes on. I see it when I teach workshops with people and we talk about foraging, that people will say to me, oh, my, my cockatiel's always down on the bottom of the cage, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know why. Well, cockatiels are ground foragers, and it, it makes sense for them to be there, and it's okay to encourage that behavior. Yeah. Actually, I, um, Chris Shank from Cockatoo Downs, when I was at her place, she's got some uh, a, a variety of different species of cockatoos, and when they were out and about, she does free flight training, and she does a very good job at it, and um, a lot of her cockatoos ended up wandering around in the grasses, and they were actually pulling up the grass blades and eating just the very um, the tip of the the grass blade that goes into the grass, like the little shoot part of okay. it. It's pretty fun. And, and it is, the cockatoos, um, it's interesting about cockatoos, they do ground forage, and they also, um, we've discussed this, they use a system similar to what meerkats use with a sentry. Um, and they'll have a cockatoo posted kind of on the edge of a grassy area, and they don't go into deep grass either, because then, you know, they'd be hidden, or a predator might be hidden. But when they're foraging, they've got, you know, one of the um, flock members standing sentry watching you know, to make sure that the flock is safe. Mm, interesting behaviors out there. So you know, the question comes up, why bother? You know, okay, I've got this bird. It's much easier for me to just stick that bowl in and, and feed him out of the bowl. And why, why would I want to do that? And the answer I come up with the most is that you need to consider what their activity budget would be in the wild. What do they spend most of their day doing? Are, are these birds, you know, do they spend a very short period of time just eating, getting it over with, and then playing with toys or playing on a perch. Not necessarily. That's how I live my life. Dude, no. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I would like someone to just give me a bowl of food and I get to eat and then rest and do nothing. I eat play. as fast as I can, lay in bed and watch TV. No, I wish I wish that was the case sometimes, but no, life is a little too hectic here. So you have to consider their activity budget and try to spread it out too. You know, it's this is a, a dog story, but with my dog, we use it. Um, we use foraging activities so that he spreads out the time he's he's actually eating and looking, engaged in looking for food so that he's not doing behaviors that we would prefer he didn't do, like chewing and biting himself. Yeah, I, I definitely use the foraging stuff with, with my dog Waylon, too, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But there, there are days when, you know, I'm out and about and uh, using the foraging toys, he spends a little bit more time working for that mm -hmm. food, which makes it, me happy. It's a common complaint, too, among parrot owners. I don't have the time to spend with my bird or I am out at work, things like that. And by providing those foraging activities, you're giving them something they can do without any real help from you. It doesn't take any a lot of effort on your part, and it keeps them busy for a longer period of the day while you're away. 
Yeah, a lot of times I'll, um, like if I know it's going to be a long day and I'm going to be away from the house, I'll actually prepare a few things and leave them on the counter the night before. And so when it's time for me to head out the door in the morning, it's no big deal. Just plop it right down there and he's happy as can be playing with his toys. And and that's a good point too, because you don't, with the parrots, you don't have to put wet things in the foraging devices. It's usually dry things that you're putting in there, whether it's nuts or seed or something or pe- you can put pellets in foraging devices and sometimes you can engage their senses with the with the foraging device or the foraging opportunity and then they'll eat those pellets cuz woohoo I found it in this cool thing you know it's not it's something new it's and it keeps them visually stimulated it keeps them you know they if we've discussed before whether there is a an olfactory sensation with birds and that you know it keeps them busy that way and then they have to do the tearing the tactile the the chewing the the pulling and the problem solving as well you know we i've said this before that birds aren't it's the food isn't just right there it's not like oh i woke up this morning and look at that there was a tree full of fruit or you know whatever their food of choice is they have to go looking for it um and so this this does mimic that wild um behavior so how do we get creative with our foraging strategies what are some ideas and things that people can do well you see i've had this recent revelation and and i think i mentioned it to you before barbara that um foraging doesn't have to be brain surgery you know in the wild yes we they do need to look for their food but it's not the pull this lever turn this knob move it up and down turn it around three times step to the side stand behind it look around move it turn it and there's a an almond there Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to be that involved it can be something as simple as you know putting something in a in an egg carton. I'll, you know, make sure obviously the egg hasn't leaked out in any way into the carton. Um, but it can be something very simple, you know, and offer multiple opportunities. Have things around the cage that that get the bird moving and our, our foraging activities. And aren't there a lot of things you can use in your home, some common items you can use in your home to create foraging activities without having to bust the bank? Absolutely. You know, I I personally have um, issues with spending half of the paycheck on on parrot toys, you know. And that doesn't mean that Nikki's not spoiled, Um, but it doesn't have to be a real costly device or system. You can use recycled boxes. You can use paper. You can use... Um, does anybody, anybody that's come to my workshop, almost anybody knows that if you get coffee in the morning, those coffee carriers are great. You can fold them in half and make, make a foraging toy out of them. Um, so there are so many different things. And I, my, my rule is kind of before it goes in the recycling bin, can it go in the cage mm. as long as it's clean? I do that too. Pretty much everything I have in my house before I throw it away, I kind of look at it twice and I think, hmm, which animal in my house would get the most pleasure from this? Right, and, and it's not just parrots. For those of you that have other pets, you can use it for, for them as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, I actually think in those terms because I have a variety of different animals in my house. And, and so uh, after it's been utilized by one animal, could it possibly be of use to another animal? I often consider that as well. So I get extra mileage out of my stuff. Yeah. Boy, I'm a cheapskate, huh? <laughs> no, no. No, you're frugal. That's it. Frugal. Those of us from New England call it frugal, so okay. it's okay. Um, one of the things that, that I'd like to caution people about is going straight from feeding in bowls to exclusively foraging for food. This is asking a lot of your birds. This is as though 
you know, picture it in your head that somebody said to you, okay, Barb, from now on, you, there's no more supermarket. You have to go to the field and find, you know, those veggies. Oh, wait, no, you don't eat those veggies. You have don't to- tell everyone my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say this. A lot of people know no lettuce for Barbara. No, no lettuce for Barbara. No lettuce for me. You have to go, you have to go slaughter will, the cow. I will not work for lettuce. <laughs> You'll have to make me really hungry in order to get me to work for lettuce. So it's just a matter of not going from, you know, it's not all or nothing. Mm-hmm. You should still be making sure that they're getting their diet. Use some of the diet in the foraging um, devices but that you create, but also make sure that, that it is available to them in bowls so that they're not at a loss for where to find their food. But maybe eventually you can work all the way up to foraging. You definitely can. I, you know, they, I know a lot of parrot owners who only use foraging um, mm. for their parrot's food delivery. Yeah, well, and I, I haven't, I'm not to that level with my parrots. I'm pretty much there with my dog, though. My dog yeah. pretty much forages for everything that he gets. And, of course, being a dog who has a healthy appetite, that's pretty easy to accomplish. Yeah, Spaz is at the same place, and it's it's a matter of whether I'm too lazy to put it in foraging devices or not. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. <laughs> it goes in the bowl too. when it's a, you know, a tough morning. So. Yeah, if I wasn't feeling well, sometimes when I'm sick, I will, uh, I will definitely do that. All right, well, you know what? I think we should take a break, but then when we come back, maybe we can talk about how we can actually train your parrot or how you can train your parrot at home to interact with foraging toys because sometimes it isn't automatic. They don't know what to do necessarily, and you have to go through some approximations to teach them how to do it. So let's take take a little break, and then we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So we'll be right back after these messages. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photo prop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich and Robin Shawokas on Pet Life Radio. So you say your birds never forage before, and... Are you going to just say, too bad, that's the way it goes, or, or are we going to train it? What do you think, Barbara? <laughs> too bad, not doing it. <gasps> okay, we're done. <laughs> this is a short one this week. <laughs> no, wait. No, actually, I, I think it's a really fun one to train, and um, and I've actually used it as a demo sometimes, sometimes in my workshops because some of these toys are darn complicated. When the human being can't figure out how to do it, <laughs> The parrot needs to teach you. That's the problem. Yeah, that is pretty challenging. Well, one of the first things I think about when training an animal to interact with a toy is that, first of all, I don't assume that they're automatically going to be comfortable with it. So one of the things that I try to incorporate is systematic desensitization. Big old fancy word. And it just basically means that we're going to uh, have that foraging device 
in the room, but far enough away from that bird so that he's not showing any body language that indicates he's uncomfortable with it. And then gradually, over time, move it closer and closer until maybe we're hanging it on the outside of the cage. I think it's kind of the slow and steady approach, and, and it needs to go on your parrot's time schedule as well. It's not when you think, oh, he should be over this by now. I'm going to move it closer. You need to be really observant of body language and those things. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, great. Maybe now you've got it in the cage. You've done a great job of going with your slow steps and and your bird's looking really comfortable and it's hanging in the cage. But then your bird never touches it. But it looks really great in the cage. It's beautiful, isn't it? Your colorful, expensive foraging toy that your bird never touches. No, we don't want that. So our next step then is we actually have to try and get the bird to engage with that. And there's a couple different things you can do. Some people will say, you know, you can play with the toy yourself. And yeah, you could do that. But um, And that's basically observational learning or modeling there. And sometimes they will learn to interact with something by watching you. But if that doesn't work, there's other options, too. You can show some food reinforcers nearby. And, yes, we are bribing them when we do that, but it's just pairing some some, uh, positive reinforcers with the item and real clear communication. You come this direction, you get some goodies. So so in the beginning of training, sometimes bribery is just fine. And I think, too, with some of the devices that are out there, they're clear. That's true, and, so they do they can see, see it. The food, which is fairly torturous, um, because then it's the, how do I get at that? But they will figure it out. And so the food is there, and sometimes it's a matter of, okay, here's, you know, if there's an almond inside, here's an almond outside. Remember, this is how great almonds are. So you've got, you know, you show them that this is, this is what's on the inside, and if you work a little bit harder, this might be what you get. Right. Yeah, that's true. And and if you do have one of those toys where you can't see the food inside or you're you're past the point where you're not going to show the food reinforcer anymore, this is another great place to use that targeting behavior. So if you've trained your bird to follow a target, whether it's your closed fist or a stick, like a chopstick or something, that can be a great way to get your bird moving closer to the, the foraging toy and being able to reinforce them for that. Now, another thing that I always think is pretty fun is free shaping. And rather than use your target, you're basically just bridging and reinforcing any time your bird takes a movement um, in the direction you want. So if you've got a parrot sitting next to a toy and maybe he turns his head and looks in that direction, you can bridge and reinforce. And um, if he happens to take a step in that direction, you can bridge and reinforce. And if all those things start happening enough, he might start figuring out especially those ones that have already have some experience with training, that to, to start moving in that direction. And then if he offers the behavior of, you know, maybe barely touching that toy, you can bridge and reinforce that. And then you look for, for increased amounts of interaction with it that you can bridge and reinforce. So that's another option, too. And, and I think it's important to make that point that it doesn't have to be a movement, a, a conscious movement towards the toy to start with, that it's just that if that movement happens. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the cool things I think about behavior. Um, you know, we, we always say you can't reinforce a behavior that isn't happening. So a lot of times we do things like use targets and things like that to cr- try and make that behavior happen. Um, but even if it happens on accident, it counts. You can reinforce it right. because you're just looking for any presentation of that behavior, whether the animal's aware of it or not. And I always tell people if it happened once, it'll happen again. And if you reinforced it, then, you know, the whole idea behind reinforcement is that behavior increases, so hopefully it would happen again after that. Right, and it makes sense when you think about it, that if if something is reinforced, it happens, it will happen again and again. Yeah. Now, another way you can get there, um, 
you know, we were saying there's some toys where you can actually see the, f- the, the food that you've hidden with, or, well, then it's not hidden if you can see it, huh? See, you can see so the food inside, inside the, the toy. But if you've got one of those toys that you can't see through, what you might start with is having um, just a little tiny bit of the food hidden within the box. And then you would start putting a little bit more in each time so that, that the animal has to work a little bit harder to get at it. But but you show you make it pretty clear that it's in there to start with so that your bird knows what's going on. It feels a little bit like cheating at the beginning, honestly, because I've done that. Um, but it will get the bird there. You know, it's like, oh, what's this? And it, the only thing different about that and maybe some colorful piece of paper is that there's a bigger payoff. Yeah. Now, there's some toys that they're a little more complex and it's not just about, you know, uncovering something or shredding up, you know, paper or something like that or destroying a box. Um, some of them, they have to twist and turn various things. Right. And those are the ones that they certainly are, you know, fascinating and I think they'd be great. But sometimes they end up just hanging there. And so those are really some of those ones that you hi- kind of have to break it down into small steps and maybe, for the most part, open the toy all the way up, you know, unscrew all the little bits and parts and make it really obvious to your bird that, look, here is a treat inside here. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and maybe let him take it out, then maybe screw it together just a little bit, you know, or however you put it together and let them then get another piece out and then tighten it down a little bit more and have them manipulate a little bit each time. And I think you actually get more bang for your buck that way because you get, it, you can change it up. You can one day tighten all the screws, one day leave some of them open or, you know, some of the little turn and pull things. And, and it's different based on how you set it up. Um, so what you're presenting, the opportunity that you're giving your bird is different by the way you use the device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and that's kind of the nice feature about some of these items out there these days. There's so many different options. And speaking of different items out there, I'm going to make a plug for one of your new products, Robin. You have a new item called the Foraging Green that I used with my cockatiel banana pudding, mm-hmm. and that was pretty fun. It's It basically sort of simulates foraging in the grass like cockatiels might do out in the wild. And to get pudding started on that, I did have to go through some baby steps. It wasn't just a matter of, okay, well, there's the, there's that long leaf grass type material that he just has to go dig through and find this, the millet seed is what I used. Instead, what I did is I actually took a little, a little bud of millet and I just placed it a little outside of it. So he ate a piece next to mm-hmm. the foraging green. And then I gradually put it towards the very edge and let him walk over on his own and take a little bit from there. And again, just keeping it on top of, of the surface. And then after he started figuring it out, then I started burying whole buds in, inside the grass. And then once he got really good at that, I just started crushing up the little buds so all the little tiny seeds of millet were buried way down in there and he had to really work for it. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter, it's kind of that learning curve. It's increasing the difficulty as you go on and as you see your bird getting more comfortable, then you can make it longer. You can lengthen that process and you can you really initially control how difficult or, or simple it is. Yeah, I agree, totally. Um, and it's the same thing with other items, like we mentioned the box already, but even, um, even wrapping a piece of paper mm-hmm. around a treat, whether it's an almond or for my dog, I do that with a with a bone. I'll take newspaper and wrap newspaper around the bone, which I then stick inside a box, which also has newspaper in it, which I then sprinkle with his dog kibble and then close up the box. <laughs> it's like those toys you had when you were a kid with the doll inside the doll inside yeah. the doll. And, and it's true. You, and they will go through different layers. And you can, you know, one day it may just be paper wrapped around something. And the next day it may be a little, you know, inside the box or inside something else. Mm-hmm. 
And same with a parrot. You know, people will, will wrap something with paper for a parrot. And it's and at first you may start with just the, the item sitting on a piece of paper. And then you crinkle up the paper just a little bit and then a little bit more and then a little bit more each time. So they have to work a little harder to, to get that item out of there. So there's lots of options. And, and as mentioned, my dog is the king of foraging, I believe. I don't know. Spaz is giving him a run for his money these days. <laughs> we, well, we have some good friends uh Roulant and Grace out in the Netherlands and Grace shared with us her fabulous book about foraging items when we were out there last time and and certainly gave me good inspiration at that time I didn't have my puppy Whalen but I definitely got some great ideas from from her book and actually I should mention their their website mm-hmm. right cityparrots.org if you haven't been there yet great photographs as well but from that I, I decided when I got my puppy that we're going to start with foraging pretty early on, and we did, and, and boy, what a blast it's been for him. And so pretty much all of Whalen's food comes from foraging items and and uh, every day, and even just throwing the kibble in the backyard and letting him work his way through the grass can be a great way mm-hmm. to, great to do some foraging. One of the issues that comes up a lot of times with foraging for ground foragers is, yeah, but I don't want it on the bottom of the cage because my bird will poop on it and, and it'll be dirty. And what I tell people is if you're going to do something that's a scatter th- you know, feed or something like that, Put a piece of paper in over the grate, scatter the food, let the bird, you know, work on it for a little while, and then take it out. It, the, you know, if you're home, that's the kind of the kind of opportunity you can present while you're there. Yeah. Because um, you don't want to leave it there all day. You don't want something to be on the bottom of the cage that is going to get get dirty and and possibly, you know, have some um, harmful effect on your bird. Yeah. Hey, and to add to that, you know. The things that they forage for, even though foraging sort of implies food, we can hide toys and things too. Oh, absolutely! It doesn't have to be just food, and and I think we get stuck in that. You know, the whole food motivation—it's always, you know, what can I do? And well, I'll give them a treat, or I'll give them this. And it can sometimes be other things. We've talked before. We've done a podcast. We did a podcast on secondary reinforcers, and how you can find other reinforcers, you know, rather than food. And I think that's an important thing to consider with foraging. You can. You know, if you've got, if you know that your bird loves a particular foot toy, use that one. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I have done that with a with a young parrot where I took a little foot toy and instead of sticking a a nut or a seed because this bird was too young to actually crack it open, I put a a foot toy in there, and boy, did he think that was big time fun. Because that's that's honestly that takes it a step further. It goes from okay, you've got the food item in there, and they found the food item, and they eat it, and it's done. Okay, but if you put a toy in there. They forage, they go, they find, they do this, this, this seeking behavior, and then they've got something to play with that'll extend, you know, their time after that. So, foraging is really fun. It, it can be, and you know, I always tell people be creative and and have fun with it. It, it shouldn't be, oh, I have to make those foraging toys again. And you sometimes get to that point, but really have fun with it. Yeah, and your birds will too. There you go. Absolutely. Well, shall we move on to some upcoming events? I think we shall. All right. We're pushing on to January. Um, and January 23rd to the 25th is Parrot Festival in Houston, Texas. It's hosted by the National Parrot Rescue and Preservation Foundation. It's a three-day event. They have some great speakers. I'm going to be there and have a booth, so stop by and say hello. And then February 21st, um, Barbara and I will be presenting a day-long seminar at uh, Parrot Training and Enrichment Workshop in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's hosted by the Greater Cincinnati Bird Club, and their website is www.gcbcclub.org, and you can get more information that way. And then February's a whirlwind tour on February 22nd. I'll be presenting an enrichment workshop um, with Cleveland Peace. 
And then, ooh, it's the International Association of Avian Trainers and Educators Annual Conference, also in Cincinnati. Both Robin and I will be there. Um, you'll be doing an enrichment workshop, I believe. I'm doing I a believe. couple of enrichment workshops, um, and you're doing some... Um, I'm presenting this time around. I don't think I have anything else uh, other than a, a paper this time. Whew, big relief. <laughs> I usually do quite a bit at those conferences, but I think I'm getting a little break this time. Uh, let's see. Then after that, March 14th, I'm teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop in the Dallas, Texas area. And on March 28th, I'll be in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, teaching a flight training seminar. And then April 18th and 19th, up in Ontario, Canada, with Susan Friedman, teaching a parrot behavior and training workshop. More information can be found at parrotworkshops.org. And then I'm heading off to Europe. I'll be in Finland on May 9th and 10th. And then May 16th and 17th, um, teaching seminars in France. And May 23rd and 24th in Portugal. And you will find more information about that at the goodbirdinc.com website. Barbara's actually looking for people to carry her luggage for those. So um, I've already signed up, but you know. Um, May 29th and through the 31st, we're hosting the Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey. Best stands for Behavior Enrichment Science and Training. And that's a two-day event. And you can check out um, the bestparrotconference.com for more information. And then, okay, we're going way ahead to October 24th through the 31st. It's the 09 Parrot Lovers Cruise. What a fabulous idea. This is a week-long or eight-day trip to exciting places like Costa Rica, Panama, Cozumel. Um, you can get more information at Baldman Travel, B-A-L-D-M-A-N-Travel.com. Sort of a vulture reference there, doesn't kind it? It does. <laughs> so I'll be speaking on that, and it would I, we'd love to have you along. And, of course, uh, we'd always love to have you come visit our websites. We've got theleatherelves.com and goodbirdinc.com and, of course, thebestparrotconference.com. And then some recommended resources while we're talking about foraging. Um, Dr. Scott Eccles has done a wonderful DVD on captive foraging. And then, as Barb mentioned, we have a new foraging green, um, which you can go to theleatherelves.com and, and email me about that. And my enrichment tip for the week, with any new form of enrichment, be sure that the level of difficulty meets your parrot's abilities. You can always add dimensions and make it a little bit more challenging. Um, your, in, your bird's interaction with that device is your guide to the next step. So let them tell you where they're at and where you should go from there. And for my training tip of the week, I'd like to mention that foraging can be a great way to prevent behavior problems. Instead of your bird spending time screaming for attention or destroying his feathers, you can teach your parrot to spend time searching for his food. Now we have a new little feature um, I've had up for quite a while on the website that you can send in your questions um, to us at goodbirding.com. And we've had a few questions and the ones that we pick get to have a free digital download of Good Bird Magazine. And this week we've picked Fiona. And Fiona writes, my gray is a young hand-reared darling. About five weeks ago, he awoke with a chest full of sheaths. I reacted badly because I didn't know what they were at first, and they frightened me. He hasn't had his first molt, but I understand this may be it. He ended up pulling them all out within the following 48 hours. He hasn't balded himself, but as a result of moving the sheaths, the feathers are quite untidy. My question is, will they ever get back to what they were? Kind regards, Fiona and George. Well, my first thought on this is that um, trying to picture what you were describing there, it, it certainly sounds like he had his little pin feathers coming in. So that's where you saw that keratin sheath wrapped around the feather. And usually, once that's grown all the way the, all the way in, um, that means the, the nerve supply and the blood supply to the feather has retracted back. So there's um, no worries about 
blood feathers and things like that. And the bird will start preening off that little sheath. And, um, and oftentimes they like it when we preen that off for them too. And once they do that, sometimes the feathers do look a little ratty and they sometimes need to preen them. But a lot of times a bath will help with that. Right. And, and bathing, again, is, is a good option enrichment-wise and for, for this issue. And one of the things, too, is being aware of what, what's untidy to you may be, like you say, just growth. And it may be something that you need to give them that a little bit more time. They, they may need to come in further. They may need to just be smoothed out and preened a little bit. But... I, you know, I've, I've lived through the panic myself. You know, the, oh, my bird looks horrible. Why is this? And then in a couple of days or, or maybe even a week, things are back to the way they should be and looking normal. And for some birds, if those sheaths really aren't coming off and it's been quite a bit of time, like you'll sometimes see, um, I've seen this on macaws before where the, the tail feathers, the sheath doesn't get preened off or doesn't fall off readily. It's quite pliable and flexible. And a lot of times that can be indicative of a medical problem. So you may want to visit your avian veterinarian on that one because that, that should come off fairly easily once the feather's grown in. And I, I don't know, how's the best way to describe how you might preen another parrot's feathers? I kind of take the tips of my fingernails and just just barely break off the little tip it doesn't take a lot of pressure it, it does sh- it really shouldn't and if it's taking a lot of pressure then it's not what you shouldn't be doing right it. and your bird will let you know because usually like i said it, it, there's a nerve supply and a blood supply with a feather still growing in and so it's a little painful to them but once that feather has completely grown in the, the that all retracts and so then the feather is basically kind of like your hair it's not mm-hmm. living anymore and, and so it doesn't hurt but but, um, but yes, your, your bird very likely will go back to having beautiful feathers again um, if he does a good job preening, and you can encourage that by giving him a bath. And, and just keep an eye on those feathers to make sure um, everything looks normal. And if you have any questions, I'm sure your avian veterinarian can help you out a little bit with that too. And the other th- one other thing, you can actually work with your bird on preening skills. You can give them simulated preening materials if, if that seems to be an issue for your bird, that they're not preening enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, can work with them. It's just the same as teaching them to forage. You can work on preening skills with them. Well, thank you for the question, Fiona. If you have a question to submit, you can look for the um, at goodbirdinc.com right on the homepage. We have a place to submit those questions. So with that, I think we are just about out of time. I think we are. And if you have any suggestions or the questions, you can contact us at uh, Robin at Pet Life Radio or Barbara at Pet Life Radio. And as always, if you'd like transcripts of this show, please visit us at PetLifeRadio.com. See you next time. Bye-bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.